Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the past 10 years, I've been on a journey to help people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've met a lot of friends who are on a similar journey, each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other, the more adversity we face. Today, I want to talk about compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is a condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others. It's often described as the negative cost of caring. Since 2009, Allison has been reaching the women of the streets of San Pedro and surrounding towns in the Dominican Republic. Because of the poverty and need, many women are exploited in the sex tourism industry, many of them as children. Allison and the women of her church reach out to them on the streets and provide a safe place for them to work in a dignified manner. They teach them the Word of God and what it means to belong to Him. They also provide documents and education to the ones in need. Her ministry, The Mercy Workshop, is ministering to these women and their children and offering an alternative to their life on the streets. But in all her doing good for her neighbor, there was a cost. As she was doing the work, she became deeply exhausted, both mentally and spiritually, which led to clinical depression. She hit a wall. Today, I am joined by Allison Hale, the Executive Director of the Mercy Workshop. Allison, I'm glad to have you on the MercyCast. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here, even though we started with such a sad intro, but I'm very thankful to actually be able to be here and telling that story. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because compassion fatigue, for any of us who work to fight sex trafficking or labor trafficking, many of us start with good intentions and passion, and we are engaging people, and then all of a sudden we hit a wall. When you hit your wall and you were completely depleted, what happened next? It was when, and this is interesting, it was when I discovered that within just less than a month, I had binge watched all... 13, 14, however many seasons there were of Grey's Anatomy. And I didn't realize, it, it was almost like I woke up because I would, because of how busy our, my schedule was, everybody thought I was somewhere else. Nobody knew that I would get up really quickly, get dressed, run and make an appearance at the different ministries that I was involved in. And then I would be back in my pajamas by 10 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And it was, and I, and I literally didn't realize, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. And everybody else in the whole world, including my own husband was like, she's the busiest missionary I know. She's working. She's everywhere. She's all over the place. And, and I'm, I'm a pretty decent actress as well. And so it was, I really, I woke up one day and, and thought that this is not healthy. And it was, it was after seeing like everything that I had not done in the past month. And I was at a conference. I was at a women's conference. I had just finished speaking. We had just sold some Mercy jewelry. And my mom walked up to me and she looked me in the face and she said, you're not okay. And I know it. And I thought I had fooled everybody, but she said, I don't know what, I don't know what's wrong, but we need to get you some help. And that was when I just finally kind of, where have I been? It, it's all a fuzz. It really is a foggy, foggy memories of that, of that time because it was months, you know, of just, existing. And it was months of going through the motions, making appearances, but I wasn't showering regularly. I wasn't taking care of myself. 
but it, it took a couple, it took a conversation with my mother and it took kind of just a waking up. There were a couple of really dark thoughts that came, that popped in my head that in a moment of lucidity, I was like, wait a minute, that's not who I am. Thinking that thought right there is not who I am. And continually thinking that thought is not who I am. And so that's when I kind of woke up and said, what's wrong? Something's wrong with me and I need to get help. And what is, first of all, thank you for sharing that. What is so challenging about hearing that for me is many of us experience something similar and we're all good actors. We can pretend. And a lot of times it's this weight of expectation of, well, we have to have it together. We have to do right. We have to do well. And the beauty of community, and you, you talked about your mother seeing it. Yes. A lot of people love the results, but the most results I've ever gotten in my life were when I was at my most unhealthy. I was just sleeping three hours a night, barely taking care of myself, on the run all the time, and I ended up in a hospital as a result of it. Yeah. But for you, your mother kind of kickstarted this community piece. She, mm -hmm. she asked a yeah. question. Your eyes were opened. What happened next? Tell me more. It, it was a conference weekend. So it was a women's conference. And my mom had convinced me that she and her very dear friend of hers, we were all going to rent a hotel room together. And, and I was like, no, we're in Chattanooga. Let me stay with family. I love staying with family. And mom was just really insistent on getting kind of away from everybody, but just with, you know. And it was interesting because that evening, I was helping this, this friend of mine, and I've known her since I was born. She and my mom were besties. And uh, she dropped her bag and a little bottle of pills rolled out. And I just was like, oh, are you sick? What are you taking pills for? And she looked me straight in the eye and she's like, I'm on medication for a mental health disorder. And I was like, oh, oh. No, no way. And she <laughs> said, I mean, and, and I was like, I had, and she was completely honest with me. And she said, come here and sit down, let's talk. And so it was really, you talk about community and it really did take a little bit of a village to just, and mom kind of jumped on the bed and said, we're, it's all, it was almost like an intervention. And they were like, tell us what's going on and tell us why you feel the way you do and tell us why you haven't, you know, you haven't opened up about, you know, about your struggles. And so that was, it was, a, it was really just the interesting turn of events. But I know, I know that that was orchestrated by the Lord, but it was also orchestrated by, like you said, a community of people who were not fooled by the acting alley, who was not fooled by the results driven speaking engagements and mercy jewelry sales and outcomes in the streets. They were, they were not fooled. And less, more people were not fooled than what I really thought. But. And that's often the painful reality is we don't think people are seeing these, these holes, these issues. Right. When you were kind of called onto the carpet and they said, you know, you're not really sharing what you're experiencing do you mind sharing, like, what, what did you share in that moment with them? Because how of how, because of how the events took place and how I really just felt so strongly that the Lord kind of put this moment together, I just decided to lay it all on the line. I talked to them and I was like kneeling at the bottom of the bed. They were sitting on the bed and I was just kind of leaning on my elbows at the, at the foot of the bed. And I just started pouring out every, every suicidal thought that I had had every desire for terminal illness that I had had, every, every dark thought that, and, and I, just, I just blurted it all out because it was almost like some, you know, 
somebody needs to know my pain and these two women love me and they're not going to judge. They're not going to have me committed. They're going to be wise in helping. And so I did. I shared with them so many, so many of the dark thoughts and the visions that I had had and the almost suicidal fantasies is what I would call it because I was so exhausted and so tired that I was just, I wanted to end it all. And I wanted to end it all in a, in a big way, or uh, it was, it really was. And that's not me, you know, um, I'm a big personality, but I, you know, I want to live. But in the, I had, I had spent months, you know, the, with these dark thoughts. So I was actually able to just share that with them and say, here's what, it, here's what it looked like. I said, if you, you know, because if they wanted to know the story, I needed to be honest with them because I felt like that might be the only time I was ever going to be that honest. And one thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is acceptance. Acceptance doesn't always mean that you love what you're experiencing, but it means that you recognize it, that you're calling it reality, that you're not going to hide from it because at the end of the day, it's going to hunt and haunt you until you do something with it, whatever it is. And in that moment, it sounds like you came to a point where you're like, this is where I've been. I don't want to stay here. I hate it. I don't like it, but I'm going to accept it and I'm going to confess it to someone else. You're going to own it. Yeah, exactly. And I was able to, I was able to own it and just say, you know what, this is who it was. This is what it looks like. And there was no glory. I don't want anybody to think that I was glorying in that moment. But like you said, it was, I was finally able to be honest about where and what it was and what it looked like. And this is, and you have to understand coming from an independent Baptist background or coming from a very conservative Christian background, we don't talk about mental health a lot. I remember walking with other people through, you know, and seeing them. And I have a degree in counseling. This is what's so interesting. I have a degree in counseling, but I have a master's degree in pastoral counseling. And I had actually walked with other people through this. And I remember somebody, and I look for clues. So people put on Facebook different things. And I'm like, okay, they're going through something. I'm going to write them privately. And I remember one of my friends posted something about depression on her Facebook status. And everybody commented about, that her faith, she needs to have more faith. They would just post Bible verses and nothing, nothing. It's that person knew, knew her faith was not, was not weak. She knew the Bible. She knows it's not about that. So I wrote her privately and I said, is there, is there anything, you know, do you want to talk? Because I know that these platitudes will come at you. And so it's like, you need to find that right person that's not going to shame you. That's not going to put a, just kind of just, oh, get over it. You're fine. You have nothing to be sad about. What are you sad about? What are you tired for? Just get some rest. It's your hormones. Check your thyroid. None of that. Uh, I needed to be able to ex- be accepted and accept my my condition right at that moment so that you know I could be honest and move forward. But God doesn't give you any more than you can handle, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> it's the platitudes flow like wine, right? Like they just come it's at you. <laughs> Constant. Yeah. And you hear it over and over again. Have you checked your thyroid? Yeah. God does not, you know, whatever. You're not, you're not alone and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know I'm not alone, but I don't have anybody if that's, I mean, I was a pastor's wife. I am a pastor's wife. And I, and I talk about this too, when, it, when you're walking through this struggle, when you're walking through this struggle, you drop, people drop clues to you and you drop the, the mental health community or the people who have struggled from mental health or struggled, are struggling with 
we drop clues to one another. We say words like, I'm going to go home and get, you know, get under my weighted blanket, or I'm going to, you know, I'm really, and we drop clues to see who's listening, who's paying attention. And then we know, then we can recognize our allies. Then we recognize our community because some people, like you said, they'll, you know, shoot out, you know, God, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, or you just need to have more faith or walk by faith, not by sight, or, you know, all of these things. And then somebody said, Oh, I heard you have a, you, you have a weighted blanket. Do you suffer from anxiety? Then I know that that person's clued in just a little bit more. And, and I can, I can walk a couple of steps with that person, whether it's on their journey or on my journey, because we do look for community when, when we're in that state. And, and that's very helpful. So I would definitely suggest anybody listening for those clues and not passing them by because we're dropping, I'm dropping clues all the time. Yeah, me too. Me too. And during that season, and it was my first few years in New York, I was starting Let My People Go. I was working 90 hours a week and getting three hours of sleep a night. And I was just going. I was at every meeting. I was writing a lot. A lot of articles were coming out. I think I had just gotten a book contract. And a friend of mine from my college days at the University of Central Florida, he reached out and he is a counselor that works. Well, he started an organization called the Rest Initiative, and they work with people in careers where they're focused on others, focused on vulnerable people, and they help them address compassion fatigue. And he called me and he goes, hey, man, it's amazing. He's like, I'm really excited about all the things that you're doing. That's really great. But and then here here came here came the rub. Mm-hmm. But right. I want to see you do it for 20 years, not just two. Right. Yeah. And so I began working with the REST Initiative and Let My People Go began working with the REST Initiative to really develop rhythms of resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so as you have been doing the Mercy Workshop and you are consistently coming into contact with those who've experienced severe trauma and the, I mean, you could get secondary trauma in that situation. Mm-hmm. What does resiliency look like for you? How do you kind of avoid going back to that place of compassion fatigue? Right. I used to pride myself on flying by the seat of my pants and just doing things, starting stuff and and getting things done. And I don't need a schedule. and I don't need a routine. And that's great for, like you said, if you want to go two years. But if you need to go longer, it's going to have to, it's going to have to have some structure. We actually shut the workshop down for three months straight for zero. We had nothing going on for three months so that I could focus on not only focus on rest and and recovery for my own health, if I needed to get on the proper meds, if I needed to get those meds in order, but then also using that three months to restart Mercy, but with a routine and a structure that was sustainable. So we have put structures in place and I, you know, but then I got to thinking the women that our workshop, the women that come into the workshop from the streets of San Pedro and Wandolio have absolutely no structure in their life at all. They have, it's, their life is complete chaos. And so if we're inviting them into something that we have created that is chaotic because it's so manic in its a desire to help, that's not going to help them at all because it's just going from one chaos to another. And so I realized that as much as I need structure, they need structure. And so we're really helping one another. We have systems in place. We have rules in place. We have schedules in place that help me know what I'm dealing with from the day, from day to day and then help them understand that the world, it, God's world is an orderly world. And if they want 
a job with dignity. And if they want to work, if they want to work in the community, they're going to have to show up at a certain hour and leave at a certain hour and they're going to have to follow some rules. And so really it was putting a little bit more structure in place for myself, but understanding that if I did that for myself, I could do that for them and help them have a more create a more creative structure in place instead of just coming stepping into chaos where I was just making decisions willy-nilly. I was making decisions just off the top of my head because that's how I've always done it. And that's how I had always been successful. But it, like, like you said, it's not sustainable. And so I think it helped them and me to put those structures in place to where I know when I, I know for the most part what I'm going to deal with every day. And so there's margin. And I needed, that was one of, one of my therapists. There was a little bit of a team around Allie for a while. One of my therapists is like, you have absolutely no margin at all. If something happens, you can't deal with it because your mind is completely taken up or your schedule is taken up with all of this, all of this chaos. And so it was creating margin and, and structure that the women could work. We could all work together in. And again, that word community is coming up. You know, what's so interesting about this conversation is you've kind of taken us on a little bit of a, a journey. You've talked to, to us about accepting the fact that we are experiencing compassion fatigue that we should recognize a community around us that we can drop hints to, but people that can kind of help us process what we're experiencing and pointed to the need to find rhythms of resiliency, rest, recovery, routine. I love how you kind of said it in three R's. You you have grown up Baptist. Preach. <laughs> Preacher's <laughs> wife. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a minute. I'll give you a good poem that goes with that. Right. And it's interesting because At the end of the day, compassion fatigue reminds us that we cannot give what we don't have, that we can't work with people in the margins if our life doesn't have any. And so as people are listening to this conversation and they're thinking about, well, am I experiencing compassion fatigue? Like, am I even self-aware enough to recognize that? What are three things that you could tell us to help us learn this art of compassion as we experience adversity in life like compassion fatigue? I think one of the first things that I noticed about myself when I was going through this is when a woman would come up to me with a deep problem, it was quicker and easier for me to hand her 200 pesos and not deal with her problem. And that was shocking to me because it was like I was almost paying her to get out of my way. And now she feels like, and honestly, she feels like, well, good. I'm, I, you know, Allie solved my problem or Allie was, you know, Allie gave me 200 pesos. That's what I needed. But that's really not what she needed. And so recognizing that I was literally just giving her money so I wouldn't have to deal with her problem. I think that was shocking to me to admit that to myself. So that's the number one. That's one thing is like, if you, if you don't have time to listen to somebody, to listen to their story or step in and walk a couple of steps with them, then then you need to take a you need to take a break or you need to find somebody to walk with you. Another thing uh, that I remember was just thinking that nothing can I can't have anything happen today out of the ordinary or I'm just really gonna I'm gonna lose it and you feel it's almost like you feel jittery because you've got to handle everything and like you said if you can't help people in the margins if you don't have margin. And so that was understanding like when you're mad at somebody in our church that gets sick or or their family member passes away because you don't have time to go deal with that, 
that's a problem. That's scary. That's not how the Lord created our, our, our family to be. Right. And so, you know, when we don't have time to be in community and to stop and, and, and fellowship with one another, that, that is definitely a problem. So those are the, those were, I know you asked for three, but those are really the two things that I was, you know, that really shocked me into thinking, wow, something needs to change about, about the way I'm functioning and about the way I'm, you know, about the way I'm ministering. So I wasn't ministering. I wasn't functioning. And I think the scariest part about this is everyone who is working with vulnerable people at some point, we're going to come to this place. And hopefully there are people around us who can say, Hey, like your mother, hey, something's not right. Like we need to look into this. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the people in our families or in our, our group of friends are brave and courageous enough to mm-hmm. maybe look past the productivity, look past the accomplishments and say like, mm-hmm. but, but how are you? Right. Like I know you're yeah. doing a lot of stuff, but what's going on in here? Like for many of us, we're just going to keep pushing until we have nothing. Mm-hmm. And then we will do something wild. We will say something that's terrible. We will mess up in a way that we might not be able to recover from. I found in my life when I've done the things that I've hated the most are when I'm completely just not caring for myself and not practicing resiliency Mm -hmm. and not taking a step back or resting or actually resting. Like I might binge watch. Yeah. (laughs) I went through a season recently where I binge watch 16 seasons of something. And I ate ice cream yeah. three to four times a week. And then I hit rock bottom. I, yeah. You know, <laughs> it was... Well, yeah. And we talked about learning to rest. You have to learn what rest looks like. And I, you know, it's obvious I wasn't resting when I was binge watching, you know, whatever Grey's Anatomy. But that's not, that's not true rest. And understanding for you what rest is, it might be different. For rest, it actually included, you know, joining a gym. Mm-hmm. Do it and doing some healthy, making some healthy changes. And it was really funny. I did go through a little bit of a, a transformation, a physical transformation, and I lost some weight, you know, and I got a little toned up. And a friend of mine came up to me and she said, I, you know, she said, I never wanted to comment on the way you looked because it's more important. I see the difference in your, in your mind. And she was the first person who actually said anything. She was like, now you look great. And she's like, but that's not what I was, that's not what I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about your, your face. And your mind, there's, she says, I, and that really meant so much to me because that's a true friend who's looking for clues. And that's beautiful. Rest for me was walking, is walking eight miles a day. And yeah. when people look at me and they say, they kind of look past the physical because, you know, that does impact you. You do get more tone, yeah. you do feel better, but they also see yeah. just how holistically you're more healthy. Right. And a friend who's brave enough to say that to you, like, yeah. That's that's incredible because regardless none of us have this figured out. We all need each other and we need people to kind of mm-hmm. kind of like bowling with bumpers. You know, sometimes the ball's going to hit the side. Right. But we will get to the end if we have our people who are our bumper people who are like, "Hey, exactly. yeah. hey you're about to you're about to go overboard." Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like Yeah. And so, well, Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really appreciated this conversation and your just your vulnerability and honesty. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, it's been it's been an honor to to have somebody again listen and step in and and understand. Again, we're all looking for community that's going to help and recognize those clues. So, I hope that we're all those people who are not only drawing 
dropping hints, but we're also looking for those clues with one another in our communities. And if you want to learn more about the Mercy Workshop or Allison Hale, you can find that in the notes for the podcast and there will be links there. As always, this podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora, yes, I said plethora because it is a great word, of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper into these issues. But you'll also get so many more resources. Like I said, a plethora. Also, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other. 